Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from the book of Jeremiah. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. you there, Jeremiah chapter 19. We're going to look at two chapters tonight. And I, I'll tell you, this, this is what Jeremiah is going through, is I think something that you and I, man or woman, it doesn't matter, we're devoted to God in the day and age in which we live. I'm sure that we're going to follow some of what's going on in Jeremiah's life in these two chapters, and, and especially in the hardships that he has and the burden in his heart. You know, they call him the weeping prophet. His heart is just torn. It's broken over the way, over the way of his own countrymen. You're thinking over Judah and the things that he's hearing from God and then the, the lack of hearing and so another, another probably prayer that you guys can keep in your hearts is uh, pray for one another. Pray that we would be fervent, have ears to hear what the Lord is speaking to our hearts about, right? We've got a million voices coming through the pipelines every day, whether it's on social media or whatever, TVs and radios. But we need to tune into that one voice, and that's the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts. And so we want to stay, you know, just... Um, we want to stay sensitive, pliable, and Lord, use me in the midst of all this. I want to hear your voice. And I, you know, I just, I want to, um, I want to see God moving in our hearts. I want to see God moving in our lives. And, and I know that he is, but I don't want to ever see that stop and increase all the, all the more. Increase, take my life, Lord, and use it for your glory, you know. Take my life, change it. So last week we saw Jeremiah, he was, uh, commanded by guys to go down to the potter's house and he showed him an object lesson. Remember the things that he's doing here are object lessons that um, he's going down the potter's house. He's looking at the clay. God is uh, the potter uh, in the clay. The potter um, has his hands on the clay. And even though the clay is marred, he can still create in that. He's not going to throw it away. He still can create in that. The image that the potter sees, not that the people see, not that the clay sees the clay, doesn't say to the potter, hey, make me this, and then voila, there it is. But it's, it's that you and I, it's the, same, it's the same thing. Judah, in the hands of God, it doesn't matter how far they've been from him, like Judah was, they're so far from him. But as long as there is water being applied, the water of his word, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, just, you know, we're, we're hearing from God and we're, you know, wherever we've been, we've been, but let's look at where we're going and, and let God, you know, just take our hearts and take our lives and craft them according to his glory and for his purpose. And so the picture last week we saw of how things would work out if Israel um, would find themselves in the center of the potter's will in the hands of the master potter. And this week is going to kind of follow that suit in a sense, but Jeremiah is told to go and get the, uh, the leaders, go get the elders of the people and the elders of the priests. He's going to say, I want you to give them another object lesson. And what he's going to do is take this flask or it's more like a, um, an earthen vessel. It's like a bottle of some sort that he's going to use in an object lesson because of the, um, the, the position that it's in is hard. It's kilned. It's useless as far as it can't be molded anymore. It is what it is. And it's a 
kind of a sad situation, but God is going to, again, speak to Jeremiah. And so there's some preparation that uh, we see here in verses 1 and 2. But the whole thing about the sign of this broken flask, let's dive right into it. It says, verse 1 says, in chapter 19, thus says the Lord, go and get a potter's earthen flask. And this is a, a vessel, some would refer to it maybe in the shape of a bottle of, of a sort. And take some of the elders of the people and some of the elders of the priests and go to the valley of the son of Hinnom, which is by the entry of the potter's gate, also known as the dung gate. And so what you have here is a gate is on the south side of the city, and it would open to the valley that was referred to as the potter gate. It would come in. It's where people would carry their broken pottery out into the valley of Hinnom, and they would throw it away. And uh, it was broken pieces. So it was like this uh, disposal, this place of disposal, if you will. But sadly, it was also a place, and they're not sure how much of it was happening, but one is too much, of children's sacrifices being done in the valley of Hinnom. So is this place where they're, and he's specifically at the gate, the, the refuge gate, or excuse me, the, the um, potter gate or the dung gate. And he's giving this message that you're going out there and imagine the people that are coming in and out of the gate. Some of you have been to the old city of Jerusalem and you see the people going in and out. And as they're going in and out, whether it's the Jaffa gate or the whatever gate you're at, and they're going out for a reason. So they're going out here to take out the trash and he's kind of going to speak to them. And it's um, <clears throat> a place where God is going to use Jeremiah in the backdrop of the Valley of Hinnom for a, a bat, you know, just a, a visual lesson. It's a, it's a lesson learned because here they are. This is a place of refuge. It's a place where they're, they're going out. They know that it's a place where they're going to dump their pottery and all this stuff. But it's, again, the backdrop to Jeremiah's message because it would be the place where he would deliver the leaders, this message, he's hoping that somebody would hear. God already knows, but Jeremiah has no idea what and who's going to listen, who's going to pay attention. I, I'm pretty sure he knows by now that not many people are listening. Their minds are made up, their hearts are hard. But there's going to be this place of the Valley of Hinnom that, where God was going to rename it the Valley of Slaughter. And obviously, like I mentioned, whether there's one person there that they're slaughtering, one child rolls down the arms of Molech is enough. doesn't have to be multiple, but just thinking that uh, the, the reasons why it's going to be named now the Valley of Slaughter is because they are sacrificing their children in the fire and because it would be there that God is also going to destroy them. And it was there at that place where Jeremiah is to, listen, he's going to address them, it says, and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You're going to go to this gate, you're going to give this message, and you're going to proclaim my words. And this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. He has, and God has, a whole picture of the people in mind that he wants to reach. And they're going to be without excuse. They're going to hear the word. Whether they want to hear it or not, they're going to see this prophet standing on the, at the gate, and he's going to be heralding the message across to the people. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's again this place to proclaim there the words that I will tell you. It's a place really where you think about it, you got to cut your emotions right out of the way. Is that what you want to say? You might even see your uncle, your aunt, you know, whoever that's close to you. Oh, I haven't seen you in a long time, Johnny. I haven't seen you in a long time. No, no, no. But you're going to proclaim and be faithful to the word of the Lord. 
because God knows what they need to hear. And here's the word of the Lord beginning in verse 3. And he says, and say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah, inhabitants of Jerusalem. Now, first off, I'm going to almost tell you that there's not going to be any kings gathering around to hear him. They're not like excited to hear Jeremiah. And I don't think you're going to draw the kings to the dung gate. They probably got servants going out there and taking their pottery, broken vessels out or whatever the case may be. But again, he's probably, again, lacking the people and especially the people of prominence. Remember, the prophets and the priests were wicked. They were prophesying lies. They were prophesying this false peace, but yet the people liked it to be so. So he's... he's told to go, it says again, to the kings, or or hopefully grab the ears of the kings of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And he says, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, behold, I will bring such a catastrophe on this place that whoever hears it, his ears will tingle. I mean, that's huge from the Lord. I mean, the Lord's just like, you know, saying, hey, and you feel like doing something, I might be there, you want to go out and, you know, bless your day, whatever. No, no, no. He's saying, you know what, I've got a promise to make to you. And he's going to tell us why a little bit in a little bit here. But he's saying there, if you even hear what I'm going to do, you're going to make your ears single. It's like you're going to say, what? Are you kidding me? I mean, this is serious. God, God is, he's been trying to get to their attention over and over and over again. You know, people think that even today, God is a God of hate, but he's a God of love. Why does he continually remind the people, turn, turn, turn. I sent my son to die for you. I want you to understand this, that I love you and I care for you. Well, you know, and and really a a majority, I wouldn't say maybe not a majority, a good amount of people would just like for the church to shut up. But the love of God that flows within our hearts because God is a God of love that we can't shut up. Or like Jeremiah, we'll see here a little later. We have to talk. We have to share with them the good news. And it doesn't matter the, the um, repercussions that come upon us. We Look, we have the message. We remember the disciples said when in John 6, 66, when, when the religious leaders took off because they couldn't hear, they didn't want to understand the things that Jesus was saying. They said, it's too hard for us to understand that the, he then went to the disciples and said, you guys want to go with him? And remember what they said? He go, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. God's word is true and people of the Lord need to stick to his word. Amen. We have to stick to the word of God. And so you see here, it says that, that uh, even to those whoever hears of it, his ears were tingle. And again, it isn't because God's having his bad day. He didn't wake up on the wrong side of the bed. And he just want to get angry and he's wanting to punish somebody. Again, in verse four, we'll see the reason why again, um, when we'll get to that in a minute. But just before this, uh, getting into God's justice, look at the days that we're living in. Not just Jeremiah, but this, this is such almost a, a picture of what we're living in today. Listen, God is going to be justified in what he does to judge a Christ-rejecting world. He's going to be justified in this. And he's telling people, and I believe people today are hearing this, or they're hearing that they don't want to hear it, but they're hearing that, listen, God loves you, he cares for you, and it's like heaping coals upon their head. They're like, I don't want to hear that anymore, just leave me alone already. But the consequences are so huge that it can't stop up. It can't put a cork in the mouth of the church. We have to. I mean, just like, listen, God loves you. So it's not that he hates the world. He died for the world. And he gave himself for it. And this is huge because you and I, who are going to remain faithful to the Lord in the days that we live in, the people around us 
are, that are against him. And there's a lot of people that are, that are just uh, against the Lord. They're against the things that he asked for them. And, and they're not raising, you know, a lot, of, a lot of families aren't raising their children in a biblical way. Nonetheless, with morals even. I mean, just for, the, for those of you who tune in, we, we stopped it. But for the halftime show, it used to be a family event. It's like, you know, it used to be a, a good family thing. Now you got to watch the commercials even, everything leading up to it, and all this stuff in the Super Bowl, you know. And it's like there are no morals. It's just like things are tossed right out of the window. But, you know, if you're going to stay to it, if you're going to stick to what the Word of God says and be a light in a dark world, you're going to face opposition, much like Jeremiah. And as a matter of fact, they will, and I believe it's even currently taking place, there's going to be this thing that I'll mention a few times, mock the servants of God. I mean, mockery or scoffers. Jude, verse 17, says this, But you, beloved, remember the words that, um, which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you, listen, this has been since the church uh, came into existence, it was birthed, he says that they told you, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. They are sensual persons who cause division, not having the spirit. And so there is, and I think the church is the church, we can't forget that there is a spiritual battle out there, right? But we fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. And there's this motivator out there that they can't see, but they're just playing you know, numb to, you know, the people that don't know the Lord. It was you and I were in that position before coming to Christ. But you have this thing to where when we look at the mockers that are coming, the mockers in Jeremiah's day, remember the, the Jesus was telling parables about when the prophets would come that they would stone or kill the prophets until the sun came and they finally tried to do away with him, the owner of the field, right? They, the, in the parable, they finally tried to do away with him. Well, it seemed that they're getting away with what is going on in their lives, the scoffers and the people that are just living in sin. There seems to be nothing in the way of their sin, nothing holding them accountable. And this is why, again, they have these uh, advertisements and all these videos and stuff that are going on. But listen, I want to tell you something to remind you that they can mock all they want. Listen, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to those to Jesus Christ, those who are in heaven, those who are on earth, and those who are under the earth. Nobody's going to get away with it. Nobody's ever going to die and say, I ain't never going. Oh, yeah, you will. I won't ever say never. And so the scoffers will be there. But let's look at the reason in verse 4 why this is coming upon them. He says, because they have forsaken me. You might want to underline that. Because they have forsaken me and made this an alien place. It's a foreign place. It's just empty. It's an alien place because they have burned incense in, uh, in it to other gods, whom neither they, their fathers, nor the kings of Judah have known. And they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent. Listen, they weren't going to be chastened because they partied all night or they did drugs or alcohol or their, their idolatry was open you know, and it was open to everyone to see their pagan worship, their children's sacrifices. They weren't going to be chastened for that. They weren't going to go through this punishment because of that. They were going through this punishment because they had forsaken the Lord. Point blank, right? That's what leads you. You walk away from God. All that stuff is a fruit, if that's doable. 
That's the fruit of you not walking with Jesus. That's what's going to come out of your life. That's, those are the things that are common in the life of people that are just going to, they've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, and then they run this way, and they run away from God. Their hearts get hard, and all of a sudden there's excuses. They would have never imagined that come up in their minds that they're using why they don't come to church, or they don't get involved in the things, or not in the Word. And then all of a sudden this condemnation is upon them because, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit's there to convict them. The devil wants to, you know, do his part, and they're a mess but they've forsaken me. That's what the Lord says here. Every sin that they had gotten them caught up into, uh, gotten themselves caught up into, God wants to forgive. God wants to bring them to him. He wants to remove the guilt of the sin. He wants to remove the burden. He wants to remove the heaviness in their lives. You know what? But, but he can't deal with them. They've forsaken him. He's like, you know, I, I'll be the hound of heaven. I'll chase you down, but you keep running further and further and further away. And this is what they've done. It got deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's the problem when you don't walk with the Lord, your hearts aren't in tune with the Lord. And then all of a sudden you're like going deeper and deeper and deeper away. Things are in your life you never thought would be there. And what do you do? God's still there. His grace is still there. And though we're forgiven of every sin, I think of, you know, there's not a sin that we're not forgiven of. I am so thankful. Amen. So thankful that God has forgiven us of all our sin. But I think that we're to keep short records of uh, or short accounts with God. You know, just because we're forgiven, I don't want to just pile out, you know, where, where Paul said, well, sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Should I keep sinning? Certainly not. But listen, 1 John chapter 1, verse 6 says this, for we say that if we, uh, we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, and this is a, a New Testament picture of the Old Testament Jews in Judah, saying that we have fellowship with him, but they're walking in darkness. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin, Right? Verse 8 says, and if we, have, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Listen, we're all saved, but now that we're saved, we're not sinless. We just sin less. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So the picture is, listen, God wants that relationship with us. He knows that we're not perfect. He knows that we sin. He knows that we fall short. We miss the mark, but he's there to walk us through these things. And he wants, a, as a loving father would to his son, his most cherished son or daughter, and each of us fit that role, that we come to him and he wants to forgive us and, and love on us. And this is what God wanted to do with Judah and Israel, both of them. This is what he wants from us. He wants them to turn from that lifestyle there. And it doesn't matter how dark it is. It doesn't matter how black it is. It doesn't matter how sin-filled it is. He wants them to turn to him. He's the only answer. He's the only answer for the world today. And no matter what we, or Judah in this case, uh, have gotten themselves into, his desire is that we turn to him. Isn't that a wonderful promise? That no matter what we've done, no matter what, you know, this is why I... I, I I plead with you, come out and pray. Come out and pray because God is waiting to hear our prayers. God wants to see our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors come to him and walk with him or come back to him. 
Well, there's no, there's no greater thing that we can have as a testimony of what's going on in your church. Man, we just ask for God and he blesses. We ask for God to bring sinners and we're seeing them come to him. Wouldn't that be a testimony? What are you guys doing? What's happening over Calvary? Well, we're praying for backsliders. A boy, are they coming back to him? Isn't that cool? There's a program. This thing called Power of Prayer. And it's this thing where God's people are, are, are being drawn unto himself. I believe the days are soon and very soon that we're going to see the king. I'm, out, I'm, I'm ready. And I really mean that. And so I want to live every day like, Lord, what do you have for us? What do you have for us that can get us, you know, you know who, who do we pray for? How do we keep, keep ourselves, you know, unspotted? How do you know, just keep us there, Lord? So he has this thing. He tells them the reason why. And again, because they have forsaken me. When, when we are, find ourselves in trouble, it's not because God has moved. We're the ones that move. The people move. God is there. He's always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. And then look at verse 10, because it's the sign of the flask. Here's what it means, or what he's get, trying to get to. He says, then he shall break that flask in the sight of the men who go with you, and say to them, thus says the Lord of hosts, even so I will... Break this people in this city as one breaks the potter's vessel, which cannot be made whole again. And again, if you take any, uh, <laughs> my wife and I were just talking about this. We were, we were reminiscing over, uh, you know, my kids, when they were small, they think that they were perfect. And I said, oh yeah, you were perfect, all right. I remember, we still have it. I thought we still had it, but we didn't. This candelabra that uh, my son threw a football, a Nerf football in the house, and it broke the little candle. That's a one-off. It's can't find it anywhere. Yeah, you're perfect, all right. You still owe me. It's your inheritance. But, you know, <laughs> he says that um, you have this, you have this, uh, I will break, uh, I, I, he's going to take this, this flask, he's going to break it. He says, and it cannot be made whole again, and they shall bury them in Tophet uh, till there is no place to bury, then be filled. Thus I will do this, uh, I will do to this place, says the Lord, and to its inhabitants to make their city like Tophet, and to the houses of Jerusalem, and to the houses of the kings of Judah, shall be defiled like the place of Tophet, because of all the houses on, the roo- on, the, on whose roofs they have burned incense to all the hosts of heaven, and poured out drink offerings to other gods. You see, the idea here is last week, as long as the clay stayed in the potter's hand, as long as it was being manipulated, being workable, it was pliable, everything was good. But once it got dried and it, got, it was in the kiln, it was just hardened to the point to where it's no longer maneuverable. It's not, you, know, you, you can't do anything with it. You can't manipulate it. It's done. It's going to be broken. And the only time that, as I mentioned this last week, when clay is like that, the only time that it's to be made useful again is when it's broken down in the finest powder and then it's reworked water it takes a long time you start to work all the uh, elements that are in there together but th- look at here once this clay has as dried it's no longer moldable and, and and then it's easily broken this is the place that he's looking at. he said look at this is you guys this is judy you've gotten so hard so hard that you're not allowing change to come. I'm speaking the word, and we know his word to be the water of his word, should soften us up. And it's, it's in a sad situation. And notice it says that it's not just in the temple, not just the religious leaders, but it says on every housetop that they're sacrificing. The houses are, the moms and dads 
are following suit. There's nobody standing up for truth. Well, first trip to Israel, we went there and one of our college students was in the old city of Jerusalem. And we went through the Jaffa Gate and we went down through the Muslim quarters and she's taken us on this tour. It was surreal. It's like at nighttime, you know, and um, we were going through these alleys and these cobblestones and all of a sudden we come up, house off, we're walking on rooftops, we're playing soccer over here, soccer over there. And you come up and on all these hot rooftops is what it's like. And then you come over the Western wall, the, the Wailing Wall, and just this big light shining on it. And it was just incredible. But we ran through some of the rooftops that they're referring to in the old city of Jerusalem. And it's like everybody in their and the family was, was partaking of burning incense to idols. And so this was to be a picture, a visual lesson to the people to clearly understand what God was going to do. He's going to do it in Judah. He was going to do it in the city as well in Jerusalem. And the prophet Isaiah, speaking to Tophet, the prophet Isaiah referred to Tophet as a symbol of death and destruction, especially when God would use judgment against, with the Assyrians against the king of Assyria. And so Jeremiah here proclaims that God's judgment will fall upon uh, the Judeans for sacrificing their infants to Baal. And so here you have this picture of this broken flask. It's not easily repaired. It's a picture of the nation with their hearts that are so hard. And it's a picture that we can just have embedded in our minds that when hardness begins to take place and we cry out, God, soften me. In our own hearts, God soften me, help me, Lord. That only brokenness would bring them to a place where God could finally deal with them, this brokenness. And then the second thing to point out here, here's Jeremiah. He comes from, uh, he comes from verse one and two, where he says, take the city of the earth and vessels and go to the valley of Hinnom, the son of Hinnom. He says, uh, he goes to the temple mount hoping to grab some attention there. Look at verse 14. It says, Then Jeremiah came from Tophet, where uh, the Lord had sent him to prophesy, and he stood in the court of the house of the Lord. You know, here it is. He's in the court of the house of the Lord's house, and he wants to, surely there's going to be somebody to hear him now, right? And said to all the people, so he does have an audience, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will again, I will bring on this city and all, and all her towns all the doom that I have uh, pronounced against it. And again, because. He says, they have stiffened their necks that they might not hear my word. Again, every time that God would send a message or a messenger to let them know that he wasn't pleased with them, he desired to have them turn back to him. The message may not be pleasing to the ears because once they're so satisfied with the flesh, they don't want to hear from the Lord. But the message was always this, that I have a desire, I love you and I long for you, says the Lord. I want you to turn back to me. But their only response to the word of God was to stiffen their necks. Sad. It's a sad situation. They're going to stiffen their necks. See, they close their ears to the only one who desire to, desired and had the power and, and, and the uh, love and the grace to save them from their consequences of sin. Look, it's still going downhill. Well, I'm still trying to dig out. And God says, listen, I'll send a ladder to you, but it's only going to come through the cross. It's the only way you're going to come. It's going to come through me. They, they were closing their ears. They were hardening their hearts. They were stiffening their necks. And this is sad. 
because he now moves to the Temple Mount, again, hoping to get the attentions of the leaders, but nobody's listening to him. Here's these guys that should have been hearing the word of God. They had a responsibility to teach the people. They were standing in front of the people on behalf of God, and they would stand supposedly in front of, uh, on behalf of the people in front of God and vice versa uh, in front of the people, in front of God on behalf of the people. But nobody's listening. And nobody's doing the, the um, nobody's doing what they should be doing. And the people have all turned. They're turning from following after the Lord. And so put yourself here in Jeremiah's shoes. Because this, is like, this isn't one, like a one time you get up and you give a message and nobody's listening. I remember at a men's breakfast years ago in Vancouver. I got up on a Saturday and there was, I don't know, 40 people out there, 40 guys out there. And I had this great breakfast. And I get up to give the message, and after the worship had gone on, you know, and I get up to give the message, and I look out there, there's probably three or four or five guys sleeping. <laughs> I'm like, yo, what's up, man? You got came over the end of the influence of the pancake, you know? <laughs> so I, how are you going to hear if you're sleeping? Some of the people have told me after Sunday, they go, I'm sorry, Pastor, I fall asleep. I just have this. Wait, it's not you. Don't take it personal. I said, just sit next to your husband or your wife or whoever it is, and they'll jab you. And they say, oh, we do that. They have the right. <laughs> but listen, the calling of God upon Jeremiah. Here's a man that God wants to use. You know that he was called from his mother's womb for this, for this um, calling. And he's called by God to take this message to a people that God knows they've been stiffened harden their necks, harden their hearts, close their ears. And he's not, it's not going to be easy and it's not going to be comfortable. So you and I are putting ourselves in, that, in the shoes of Jeremiah, if you will, because we too are to have the, the word of reconciliation. We're, we're, we're to share the gospel message in our, in, in our lives. But here we have a time where it may not be bearing fruit. All that you're doing and you're called by God, year after year, day after day. Again, it's not a one-off message. It's like I get up and I give a message. Well, they didn't hear it. Okay, I'll go on, you know, whatever I'm doing. It was time after time after time. He's hearing from the Lord. He's, you know, okay, I'm going to get, I'm going to be faithful to the Lord. And nobody's listening. So think of yourself and myself. Think of, picture how faithful Jeremiah is. And we are, we are to be faithful regardless of whether people are listening or not. We're to be faithful to God and his calling upon our lives no matter where we're serving at. And you know, each one of us has a calling by God. We all make up the body of Christ. doesn't matter where we're serving. We need fingernails and toenails and eyelashes and all these things. We need every part of the body to be the body. And so to make the body strong, Paul says that in Ephesians, that as the body comes together, it makes, uh, makes it stronger. So here you have Jeremiah just faithful to do what God wants him to do. Good time or bad, but listen. Just because he gets up there, this doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And it's not easy all the time. Look at verse um, chapter 20. God's going to speak to Pashur. Now Pashur, the son of Emer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things. And Pashur struck Jeremiah the prophet and put him in stocks that uh, were in the high gate of Benjamin, uh, which is by the house of the Lord. So here you have somebody that's listening. Do you see their response? 
And then they lock him up and they put him in the stocks and, you know, like you can't go anywhere now. Now what are you going to do? I mean, this is the response of those people. So here you have Pasher, if you will, the chief governor. Here's what Jeremiah has to say. But instead of listening and responding in a way that, oh, that's the voice of the Lord. That's the spirit of God speaking to my heart. What does he do? He puts him in stocks for public ridicule and he hits him. I mean, this pasture was an Old Testament mocker, a scoffer. Somebody that's going to get in the face of the messenger. Let's make the messenger feel bad. And that's the idea with God or with the enemy today. God's people want to be faithful to what God has called them to do. But the enemy, the scoffers want to come against you and make you feel ridiculed. And listen, if we're living in the world and for the world, you know what we're going to do? We're going to kind of be quiet a little bit. I don't want to be put on spot like this. I don't want to be under this accusation. We might quiet us down. You see, pastor didn't like what he he had heard, so he responded by taking it out on the messenger. It's like Jeremiah's already had a hard time. Just add salt to the wound, if you will. So think about, again, how things are going today. Our men's conference this year, it's next September, we moved it to the fall. The theme is Unashamed. I think there's a better time that our men in the church and in the churches that will be attending would understand that we cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be men that are going to stand up and be men in our homes. We need to be women as well that are going to stand up and be women that are going to be, you know, influenced by the gospel and by the message of God. We're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be moved by what the society says out there. We're not going to be moved by, oh, well, you know, they take this poll and this poll says this. No, it's, if it's pulled in the word of God, that's how I want to live by. I want to just surrender to God's word. I want it to be that God's word is ministering to us. And so we have this theme, unashamed. And rightfully, I believe, as a time as we have before us, to live in that manner. And thinking again, Men and women who aren't ashamed to live for God in the world of haters, really what it is, and those who oppose God and oppose his word, that we're still going to live. They have to see an example. They have to see how the family is run. They have to see that the man is taking control and that he's living out a godly life and the woman is following in the submission. They need to see these things. And it's all right for a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to have the experience or at least show them that it's okay. But when we, you know, we have women, they say, oh, you, you know, you don't, um, you're living that way. You're under the realm of your husband or whatever. And there's women's rights and all this stuff. And it's every woman's right, just like it is every man's right to be obedient to the word of God. And to live as a family, the way the family was ordained to live. So we have to be men and women who are willing to stand on the wall and be the watchmen, having care for our brothers and sisters around us. Not a judgmental attitude, but loving and caring for them. Not just by being an armchair quarterback. There's plenty of those on Sunday. <laughs> but we have to care enough to lay our lives down so that we can live unto Jesus and live our lives for one another. Men and women operating by faith. Remember what Jesus said, to the disciples in John chapter 12, he said this. He said, he answered them, he was saying, but the hour has come and the Son of Man would be soon glorified, would, should be glorified. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. 
he who loves his life will lose it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. So when you and I think about following Jesus, how do we follow him? We follow him to the extent that he wants us to follow him, whether there's pain or ridicule or scoffing, and then we're going to continue the course. We're going to continue. We're going to lock arms with our brothers and sisters. We're going to continue to pray for those who persecute us. We're going to continue, though, to be fervent, to be salt in the day in which we live, or light in the dark world. And so Jeremiah is that example of following the Lord, even, even as his, he's always called and even in these tough times, he's going to be faithful. Again, it's not always easy to be a man or a woman of God. It's not always easy. You know, we can always hide out and go in the back corner or whatever and just be, become another part of the majority. But it's not easy. But we have to find ourselves, when we're, when, when we're in this relationship with God, that he's asked of us, okay, look, at now my life, your life belongs to me. I want to use you. It's hands off the steering wheel. It's like, he's not your co-pilot. He's not your homeboy. Jesus is your savior. He's your master. Died on the cross for our sins. See, he's the one that we've given our lives to. In verse three, it says, and it happened the next day that pasture brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. So what do you think that Jeremiah is going to do here? I mean, really, you think, right on, he got me free. I'm out of here. I'm going to be a little peace out. Remember the disciples in the book of Acts? Don't you ever go preaching the name of Jesus again when they do. Hey, by the way, you guys know Jesus? Listen, look at verse uh, 3 again. And it happened the next day as pasture brought Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then Jeremiah said to him, <laughs> the Lord has not called you pasture. This is meaning unknown, as some people think it means freedom or peaceful. But Magor Mishabib, which means terror on every side. You think your life is freedom, but I'm going to tell you your life is going to be terror on every side. Jeremiah wasn't holding back. For thus says the Lord, behold, I will make you a terror to yourself and to all your friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemy, enemies, and you shall see it. I will give all Judah into the hands of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive to, it, to Babylon and slay them with the sword. Moreover, I will deliver all the wealth of the city, all its produce, all of its precious things, all the treasures of the kings of Judah. I will give into the hands of their enemies who will plunder them, seize them, and carry them to Babylon. And you, Asher, or you, a terror of every side, and all, the, all, all who dwell in your house shall go into captivity. You shall go to Babylon and you shall die. There you shall die and be buried there. And your, you and, your, and all your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. So, Pastor, you want to strike the messenger? God will have light, the last word, won't he? You see, he didn't like it when Jeremiah came to him at first. He didn't like what he heard. But I don't think he's too excited about this message. <clears throat> So you got this time where pastors, just like anyone who rejects the Lord, he, listen, he's not fighting the messenger. I know it seems that way, doesn't it? I take it personal sometimes only because I love people. God has given me a love for people. Sometimes I trip out. I know I'm going into the fire with this one, you know, but it's like God just would have me go there. But I just love people. Why? Because Jesus died for them. I want them to see that. 
And so you go to this place and then all of a sudden you get egg in your face or you get, you know, knives in your back or whatever the case may be. Now that's what pastor's doing here. But you're not fighting, he's not fighting the messenger. Just remember that. You're, you're just a messenger, your hand gets slapped, you get beat up and all this stuff. They're fighting the Lord. And they're arguing against the word of the Lord. But the word of the Lord will have the last say. And I find it interesting that as all this is done, it's done in the temple mount where people should be standing up for God. They're going to meet with God. But there's nobody standing up for the truth, not religious leaders. There's nobody there, no man or women that are standing up. But this pastor seems to be having his way. And the Lord through Jeremiah just unloads on him. See, instead of the truth, lies are being presented to the people. If you look at the end of verse 6, he says, you know what, uh, you're going to die here, you're going uh, to be buried there, you and your friends to whom you have prophesied lies. You've been speaking lies to my people. God's not going to let them get, get away with it. Imagine a people, they might have thought, well, you know what, nothing's being done, so it must be okay with God, it's coming from the pulpit. How many people say that today? Oh, it must be okay, it's coming from the pulpit, why not? Oh, yeah, he's got a Bible open. Yeah, where did he teach from last week? Well, from the Bible. From the Bible, he teaches the Bible. You see, and it's not the responsibility, though it is a huge responsibility on the, on the pastor, it's the responsibility on each of the congregants because you're to be Bereans. You're to take everything that is said, you're to take it home and say, is that true? And it's not, you know, you can debate about a style or, you know, you can become a Corinthian and say, well, I'm from Paul, I'm from Apollos. I like this guy, I like that guy, I don't like you. But you know what? You got to deal with the word. You have to deal with the word. And so instead of the truth, lies are being presented to the people from the mouth of Pasher and the other religious leaders. And it tells us that we, even today that we have to be careful. We have to be careful. What is it that he's saying? What is it that the word of God is saying through this? And then again, the important thing for, in my heart, is to when we teach through the Word, we teach the Bible, chapter by chapter, book by verse, by verse in the New Testament, especially the Old Testament, we kind of grab books around. But here's the thing. Every book has a theme. Every theme has a purpose. And it's to, you know, like I said, Corinthians, a corrective letter. Um, Thessalonians, the letter of prophecy. A letter of the end times, eschatology. Um, you know, you're talking about Ephesians, doctrine, Romans, doctrine, all these things. So you have this, the purpose of why they're there. And you and I, just like me, because I come out of a book and now we're just starting First Timothy and we're like, going, we're not talking about prophecy here. We're talking, you know, you got you to gotta be able to go with the flow. It's, it's, it's pretty incredible to start a new book. And then when you start one on Sunday and Wednesday, that's really difficult. But going with the flow. What is the theme of the Holy Spirit saying to the church? Because that's the same thing he has to say to, to us. And so we're to show ourselves approved, having studied the scriptures for ourselves. And look at verse 7, because Jeremiah's ministry really becomes unpopular. He says, O Lord, you induced me, and I was persuaded. You are stronger than I, and I have prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocks me. And again, the common theme. You've got mockers. you got scoffers. you got people that you're sent to minister to, yet nobody's listening. And they're coming against you. See, there are mockers out there. People who are disgusted with hearing the word of God. They're disgusted about hearing that he's the only way. What do you mean he's the only way? And that's why they have churches nowadays, come as you are and stay that way. It's like we want to appeal to you. We would rather have our pulpits or our pews full and our budgets met. And we would rather have people in the pews. I'm like, I would rather have them in heaven. 
I want to get them introduced to Jesus Christ. And so, you know, here you have this time, though, where the mockers are out there. And again, the messenger. Put yourself in, in Jeremiah's shoes. And if you've ever been in a place, maybe at a family function or, you know, uh, something that's gone on and you, they know you're the Christian, they go, oh, shh, shh. you walk in the door, <laughs> text you later. You know that you feel like the outcast, the third man, third wheel on a date or whatever. It takes a toll on the messenger. It does. And Jeremiah is so burdened that he just wants to quit. I mean, I just, I want to be done with this stuff. And verse 8 says, for when I spoke, I cried, I shouted, violence and plunder. I mean, you see what's going on in his heart? It, it's, it, 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 it just didn't come with, you know, kind of something that was Temporal. Again, he's been into this thing for years. Some say maybe 20 years at this time he's been doing this. The ministry, can you imagine that? The ministry, nobody's coming forward. You have a place to where, you know, you're given an altar call. Nobody's listening. And then they're starting to ridicule you, but you're in this dilemma because God has called you. And what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Are you going to let the scoffers get to you? Sometimes it does, right? I mean, I'm, I'm going to be honest. It's hard. It's hard at times, but because the word of God that he's given to you and he's brought it to Jeremiah to deliver, he's got to stand up for that. It's either friendship or fellowship. You got to be friendship with the world. Listen, I want to see the world saved. I don't want to go, and I used this illustration before, but I, I don't want to, and, and it's not like it's going to happen because I'm not going to be at the gates letting people in and out. But if you go to the gates, you're standing there and somebody goes, you know, they're, they die and they're on their way, they checking in at the gate and says, well, you know, is my name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? They say, no, nope, it's not here. And they look over and say, why didn't you tell me? That I'd rather have him hate me now than hate me later. I'd rather have him hear the truth. So he says this, for when I spoke, I cried out, I shouted, violence and plunder, because the word of the Lord was made for me, a reproach and a derision daily. Now, let me be honest here for a second. Listen, staying true to the word of God, is no, it's not, that's not difficult. We can say true to the word of God. That's, that's not difficult at all. But when opposition comes upon you daily and daily and daily, it's difficult to bear at times. Well, some of the opposition is this, is that people would rather be flattered, tickled, instead of know the truth. People would rather be, you know, I don't have a, I, mean, I, I, I sharing with my wife, I said, you know, whenever I go to the parts store or the bank, if I'm going for a bank's doing business, I say, honey, pray for my attitude. <laughs> I remember we were going for a home loan a couple of years back and uh, it was when we were going to build our house and I go into the, into the loan officer and I'm, you know, writing all these things out and, and he left for a second and, and I said, honey, how am I doing? And she goes, change your attitude. So I got to really watch my demeanor. I'm not a hater. I love people. But you know what? Uh, what do you do? Um, I get it that people are rejecting the message and not the messenger. I get that. But at times they do reject the messenger as well. Listen, what do you do when you're a pastor and you're going to be politically, or I should say biblically correct, which slices the politicalness of, of our culture? What are you going to do? What do you expect to do? I mean, I love people, and I, and I don't want to see people take it wrong, but I, I've got to tell them, you've got to tell them the truth. But the Word of God is that when it's handled, it's handled the sharpening of any two-edged sword. It cuts, exposes so that it might be eradicated and heals without a scar. But the same thing is not just for a pastor, but any Christian who isn't afraid to stand up for the truth today. I don't, you know, maybe it might be better. Let's just tone it down a little bit. 
But how can you toad down when the Titanic is sinking? Hey, you guys want to play shuffleboard? We can get in one last game. I'm like, for real. Here's Jeremiah. He's been faithful, but it doesn't mean that it's easy by any stretch of imagination. Look at verse 9. He says, then I said, I will not make mention of him, nor speak anyone, nor speak anymore in his name. This is a threat of saying nothing. But his word was in my heart like a burning fire, shut up in my bones, and I was weary of holding it back, and I could not. Jeremiah can't quit. He knows that. I don't think he's really looking to quit, but it, it's, at times it's, it's hard. You see, the calling that God has, no matter the capacity we're serving in, he's called each of us to serve in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what it is. And listen, it's an incredible privilege, is it not? I mean, look, we get to serve God Almighty. But there are times when things get tough, then you want to just give up or you want to give something. I mean, sometimes it's just easy to do something a little more, a little less confrontational. Earlier this year, I just had just a, a hard time. The, the turn of the year was very difficult. I was talking to a brother, expressing my heart over some of the issues. That just the, the trials were relentless. And, and the, the thoughts come into your mind, and you know when the thoughts come into your mind, it's the enemy, and you know, planting thoughts, it's like, grass has got to be greener on the other side. And, and I know that there's a time to where the spiritual battles are relentless. Spiritual warfare has been huge the first couple of months of this first, oh, you mean it's only been a month? You know, it's been huge. And it's been, it's been just really hard. It's been difficult. I've had a, a tough time. You know, my niece dying, um, sitting with Jean and Jackie today, it's a very difficult time. Uh, for them, my heart just goes out to them. But even when thoughts come to mind, no matter how difficult things get, I understand that he who has called me is the only one to release me. Same with you. Understand that. When God has called you someplace to serve in a capacity, he's the one to release you. It's not our lives, right? Our lives have been bought with a price. So it's not like I can pick and choose. I can, you know, it's, that's not it. You know, if that was the case, why would I ever leave San Diego? I mean, right? I like the sun. The S-O-N and then the S-U-N. I mean, I love the weather. But there's something more important, and that's to heed the call of God upon our lives and follow through with it. And then knowing that things are going to get tough, it just doesn't matter. Listen, I'm here because God has called me. You're here because God has called you here, not because you signed up for it. Oh, yeah, I got nothing better to do. Let me sign up there. I can think of a lot of other things, you know, I don't know if they're better, but a lot of other things that might come into play. But listen, the same is for me, the same is for you. God has called me to be a pastor. He's called me to speak the word of God, do the best I can and walk through the difficult times and still be true to the word of God. And he's called you to be the same, each and every one of us, that we're called to serve him in the capacity he wants us to service in, so serve him in. And, and so we're just saying, yes, Lord. No matter how difficult things get, and I understand, trust me, things are difficult. James says this in James chapter 4. He says, come now, you who say today and tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen to you tomorrow. For what, it, what is your life? Even if the, uh, It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then it vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. We shall live and do this or that, but now you boast uh, in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. Listen, again, our lives have been bought with a price, right? I don't know about the freedom of packing up and moving in my free will. 
I mean, I know God gives us a free will, but my will is to do, and I'll copy the words of Jesus, my will is to do the will of him who sent me. That's what Jesus said, and that's who we're modeling our lives after. I'm not trying to be God. I'm not trying to be super spiritual. But I know that when we're following Jesus, that's the words that come from his mouth. He says it's going to be hard, but it's a privilege to suffer for his name's sake. You see, it'd be easiest to pack things up. And for the past few months, listen, we were talking about this during the halftime and some of the uh, football game uh, on uh, Sunday. It has been hard with all the weather here, right? But listen, if we, I mean, uh, I don't like rain. I'm, I'm San Diego, right? I got shorts on. They look like pants, but I got shorts on. I got flip-flops on. <laughs> really, it's, but, but here's the thing. It, it's been hard for me. That's been, that's been one of the, the things that have been kind of pressing down on me in, in the last month or so. But it doesn't matter what it is on the outside. We can run for to and fro. If Jesus isn't going to be um, our portion, then we're always going to look for something else to satisfy us. Some other weather, some other building, some other church, some other this, some other that. And then look at verse 10, because Jeremiah continues, he says, For I heard many mocking, fear on every side, report, they say, and we will report it. All my, all my acquaintances watch for my stumbling, saying, perhaps he can uh, be induced. Then we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our uh, revenge on him. See, it wasn't, again, just that the enemy was picking on Jeremiah on a, on a one-time thing here. But it was also Jeremiah's friends, those who were, they were waiting for him to slip up. Those who were closest to him, just waiting for him to slip. I'm going to catch you. They weren't, they weren't, what do you have to say? What was that? Oh, that was the Lord. No, they were saying, eh, I'm going to watch you. What? Right step? Left step? And they were, they were kind of watching Jeremiah in this. And so in the very heat of the ministry, people that you feel are close to you are waiting for you to slip up. And there are some like in this day, they're waiting for you to be that false teacher, that false prophet. And Jeremiah is just trying to follow after the Lord. But even though he goes through this time of difficulties, it testifies of his confidence of the Lord. Look at verse 11. But the Lord is with me as a mighty awesome one. Therefore my persecutors will stumble and will not prevail. And they will be greatly ashamed for they will not prosper. Their everlasting confusion will never be forgotten. In all of the midst of it, Jeremiah is trusting the Lord. But listen, I, I can kind of feel this from myself. You ever go through times where you're coming out of maybe a, a, um, an oppressed time and then you're like, oh yeah, it's the Lord. His word is ministering to me. And then yeah, yeah, oh yeah, it's the Lord. And you know, you're, yeah, the Lord's going to be for real. All my enemies will fail. They'll, they'll fall. And, and even though he felt that deceived, he knew that God would be with him. And then all of a sudden, look at verse 12, but O Lord of hosts, you who test the righteous, see the mind of the heart. Let, let me see your vengeance on them, for I have pleaded my cause before you. So the assurance that I'm going to sing praise to the Lord. I'm, I'm coming up. This is so good. Verse 13, sing to the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, he, he, for he has delivered the life of the poor from the hands of the evildoers. And again, all of a sudden, you're on the mountaintop. Yes, this is working out. And then all of a sudden, you go back to, back to this time of grief and depression. We have to understand this, that times are going to get tough. It doesn't mean that God has departed from us. It just matters that this is the season in which we live in. You know what? Jeremiah was there. And, and there are times that we'll go back and forth from trusting God to depression or, or oppression or whatever it might be. But we got to understand that God is still there. 
And, and there's, he's the only answer to be the richness in that time. See, Jeremiah's been in the ministry for years now, and nothing, he has nothing to, for, as far as fruit to show his faithfulness, but there's no fruit in his ministry, but he's still continuing to go on. Not only is it the religious leaders, but his friends are mocking him. And again, when I go back to his calling as a young man, he remember what he said in chapter one, that in my mother's womb, he had been called. God had created him for this calling. He knew all about him. And he says, before you were even conceived, I was working on you. As it's for a time like this. God made no mistakes. He has us here living in 2020 as a purpose to be a light in a dark world, as a purpose to be salt in the earth. And ministry can become difficult even in 2020. And I'm not trying to be a bummer to anybody, but please understand that the call of God and the devotedness to the one has to maintain through the good times and the bad. That's our responsibility, just to be devoted to him. Jesus reminded us of a... Uh, his disciples, an example given about the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep, but a hireling, he's, one, he's not one of the shepherds. Uh, excuse me, but a hireling, he is not the shepherd. Uh, one who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. And the hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep and the good shepherd. I know, I know my sheep and and uh, am known by my sheep or and, and known by my own. You see, there is much more than just getting up and teaching a Bible study once and twice a week. Much more than this. And we kid about it, you know. I get, a, hey man, what are you doing this week, man? I know you only work Wednesday nights. But if you're a true shepherd, and moms and dads included, listen, moms and dads, grandmas and grandpas, all fits this mold. We're going to lay our lives down for our children. It's not just about bringing them to church. It's about being church at home. It's about praying. It's about teaching them about Jesus and, and just giving them the influence of God in their lives and the impact of God. You see, as, as a pastor or a leader in a church, it's no different. We practice the same things at home before we bring him to the church to lead the church as he's called us to. But laying down our lives for the sheep begins at home. And then every man in this congregation, every man who calls himself a Christian ought to be laying his life down. Not to give the children what they want, give them what they need. And that's Jesus. Then look at verse 14 as Jeremiah continues because he goes from the high high to the low lows. He says, cursed be the day that I was born. Let the day not be blessed in which my, which my mother bore me. Let the man be cursed who brought news to my father saying a male child should be born to you, making him very glad. Uh, making him very glad. Verse 16, and, and let that man be like the cities which the Lord overthrew and, and did not relent. Speaking of Sodom and Gomorrah, let him hear the cry in the morning and the shouting at the noon because... He did not kill me from my womb that my mother might have been my grave because my mother might have been my grave and her womb always enlarged with me. And why did I come forth from the womb to see the labor and sorrow that my days should be consumed with shame? I mean, can you just feel Jeremiah's heart? Why? He's broken. He wants to quit. He's not understanding why he was ever born. I mean, if I had to go through this as part of the life that I 
would be promised who would sign up for it. But this is true, again, it's true spiritual warfare. Why do we have to go through some of the things that we have to go through at times? I don't know. But God makes no mistakes. And listen, when we cling on to God, he will give us the things that are required to make it through. How do we handle such things? Listen, if we never go through times like this, then I'd say get closer to Jesus. You probably will. Get closer to the service in him, and you probably will. And, and, and maybe you don't want to get close, you know, you don't want to go to that extreme of that a walk with him or, you, you know, to answer that calling, that's possible. But just remember, his namesake is, is considered a privilege to suffer for. And then in Romans 1.16, where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God of salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I'm not going to be ashamed. Listen, just like Jeremiah, Ezekiel was delivered a series of strong messages to the people. Some of them were visual. And he was told that they weren't going to listen. Hey, you're not going to listen. But God didn't call any of his servants to be fruitful. He just called them to be faithful. And that's all that he's asking of you and I. Is that we don't worry about how we look before men. We don't look about how we're shining. How, woohoo, look at me. Finally got in a bulletin. Finally got in the pastor's message or whatever. None of that. But listen, that we are called to be faithful. Jeremiah, Ezekiel, you and I, we're only concerned with faithfulness to what he's called us to do. And let's be steadfast in that. Amen? Let's just be steadfast. God, I don't know why I'm going through or why, you know, you have me going through this, but I do know this, that I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to that which you called me to. And God, do what you want to do. And maybe tonight you need to be strengthened. It's been, a, it's been a, a better week for me, better two weeks or a week for me. But I'm just clinging on to the Lord. And I know that a bit more than me clinging on to him, that he's clinging on to me and he's clinging on to you. He has us. He's going to walk us through. He's going to give us the power. He's going to give us the strength. And he'll see fit to it. May we just live to glorify him. Amen? Let's pray. Father, when we look at a... We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time, and remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.